we're in the midst of a series called The Kingdom. And um, when you look at the kingdom and the kingdom of God, it means the reign and rule of God in our lives. And we put our focus on the Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon ever preached and uh, one of the most read three chapters of the Bible. And as Jesus preaches this sermon, it is about how to become a kingdom citizen. How do you live as a kingdom citizen? So when we are living our lives outside of God, it's like we're in a kingdom of darkness and God wants to bring us to a kingdom of light. And whenever we understand that our sin has separated us from God, because of that separation, that uh, we do not have a, a relationship with him, we don't have fellowship with him, because that sin has caused that separation. And so God in his love sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. He lived that perfect life and then he became our perfect sacrifice. And he says, I will pay the penalty for the sin and provide a bridge for you to God. And so when Jesus shared, showed this love to us and provided this access to get to God, then when we make that decision, receive Christ into our hearts. And once we do that, it says that now we've been adopted into God's family and we're a part of his kingdom. And the Bible talks about that the kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God and that supremely God will rule over everything. But what he's really concerned with is ruling in your life and in my life. And so it's that reign and rule in our lives. And so Jesus is talking to those that are followers of his. And he says, to live as a kingdom citizen, these are some things that we need to do. And he starts out and he talks about the Beatitudes. The first part talks about the character of someone who's a kingdom citizen. Then he talks about the influence. We're salt and we're light. And then he goes in deeper into talk about a superior righteousness. And he says things like, it's not just the fact you're not supposed to murder anybody, but you're not supposed to have this overwhelming anger. It's not just the fact that you're not supposed to have an affair with someone. It means you're not even supposed to have lust in your heart. And so he drives us to the superior righteousness. And then when you get to chapter six, he, he talks about that you need to have the right motives, the right motives in your giving and in your praying and in your fasting. And then he gave us a model, a pattern for how we should pray. And that was the Lord's prayer. And so today we move into a second section and it is not just right motives, but it's right priorities. What are the right priorities? And he zeroes right in and talks about our treasures. And so if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, we will look at verses 19 through 24. And this is what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, what he's saying is he's talking about laying up your treasures. Let me just give you a definition of treasures. That's the accumulation of what is valuable. The accumulation of what is valuable. So when he's talking about zeroing right in on our priorities, he says, do not lay up your treasures on earth. 
the accumulation of everything that is valuable. You think about all your different possessions. He's telling us, don't lay those up on earth. We need to lay them up in heaven. So let me just break this down into two things. First of all, there's the fallacy of laying up treasures on earth. The fallacy of laying up treasures on earth. Why is this a bad idea? And Jesus says it's a bad idea. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, I want you to understand at the very beginning, when you read this, this is not a ban on possessions. This is not saying that you just need to live an ascetic lifestyle and you're not supposed to, to try to gain possessions. It's not saying that at all. It's not saying that you don't need to save money or save for retirement or save for a rainy day. It is not saying that you don't need insurance in case something happens. It's not saying that at all. It's also not saying that we're, we are not to enjoy what God has given us and all the great gifts he's given us. It's not saying that at all. What it is warning his followers is of a selfish accumulation of goods while neglecting the needs of others around you and neglecting the things that have eternal significance. So he's saying, don't lay up your treasures for earth, need to lay them up for heaven. So why is it a fallacy? For us just to accumulate possessions while we're here and just put our focus on that. First of all, it's because possessions deceive. Possessions deceive. Possessions deceive us into believing that they are sufficient enough to meet our needs. If I can just have more, then I'll be happier. But they never do. Oh, for a short while they do. You buy that new outfit or you buy that new car or you buy that new house or, or you get that new video game or you get that new big TV or whatever it may be. All of a sudden you get it and you're liking it and it meets a need. But it doesn't last long because then you need something else. The perfect illustration is just when we go to work and we ever get our first raise. And we've talked about this. How exciting it is when you get your first raise when you're at work and all of a sudden they say, hey, this is the salary we brought you in. Guess what? We just gave you this raise. And you know what? When they gave you that raise, you were either talking to yourself, to your parents, to your spouse, and you said, if I just had this much money, oh, I'd be great shape. I'd be set for life. And sure enough, they gave you that raise and you got that new paycheck and you're so happy for about two months. And then all of a sudden, as you've lived on that amount, you begin to look over the fence and say, boy, it'd be nice if I had that over there. But you know, I could get that if I just had a little bit more over here. And you see, possessions deceive us into thinking that if we just have a little bit more, then they're going to sustain us, they're going to be sufficient, they're going to meet our needs, and they're going to give us total satisfaction. That is just, that's just a lie. It's never going to happen. But possessions also deceive us into making us think that they are permanent enough on which to build our lives. They are permanent enough. If I can just get more stuff, I'll build my life on that. I'll be fine. Well, that's what Jesus talks about. He says, don't lay up your treasures on earth. And he talks about where a moth and rust and thieves can get in there. During Jesus's day, treasures were garments, your clothes, tapestries, food, and coins. That was pretty much their treasure. And Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moths can get in and destroy. 
If you ever had moths eat anything, can you just raise your hand if, if you've had any of that? Yes. Some of you have got some shirts on today. You got a little moth hole in that, right? Uh, I've had it happen. We had some, some, uh, a, a blanket or something that when we were moving and going, living in a rental house, when we were going to seminary, sure enough, pulled it out and all of a sudden some moths had pretty well chewed it up. They can destroy it. And, and Jesus is saying to those people at that time, you got these garments, you got these tapestries, moths can get in there and they'll destroy it just like that. He says where rust can get there. Now, rust, we look at that as corrosion. The word actually means eating. Something eats at it. It's like varmin or worms that eat at something. And so he says, you can have your food source here. And guess what? Varmins can come in. Uh, some the worms can get into it and it destroys it. So it's not, it's not permanent. It's not permanent whatsoever. Or thieves can break in. Now, I love this in the Greek word, they called thieves uh, mud diggers. And the burglar was called a mud digger because they had like these dried mud bricks and you would dig through the mud in order to come into someone's home and steal things. And he says, don't let possessions deceive you because they're not going to last. I mean, there is a temporal nature to them. They can spoil, they can be destroyed, they can be stolen. All of these things can happen. No treasure on earth is safe. And people who arrange their life in such a way that their happiness depends on their possessions, they'll be deceived, they'll be disappointed, and they will have an empty life. And it's so sad, especially in our culture, that we spend so much of our life accumulating things and we accumulate all these possessions and we leave them behind us when we die. We leave them all. There's no U-Haul going behind a hearse. There's no pockets in a burial shroud. The reason is you can't take it with you. Yeah, I love that old story about the guy who said he wanted to take it with him. And so he called his three best friends. One was a minister, a doctor, and a lawyer. And he had, uh, gave them an envelope of $30,000 each. And he said, when I die, and, and when they begin to drop me into the ground, I want you each to take those envelopes and throw them in there with me because I'm taking it with me. They said, okay. So sure enough, funeral happened, came down graveside. They're getting ready to, to lower him down. All three guys threw their envelopes in there. Then they began to walk off, and the minister kind of got a little... He was a little under conviction first. And he says, guys, I just got to tell you, he says, you know, we had some really tough expenses come up at the church. And so I took 10,000 out of that and I took the 20 and I threw that in there. Well, then the doctor looked around. He says, well, I've got to confess. He says, you know, we're opening a new clinic and we ran into some expenses. So I took 20,000 out, but I did throw 10 in there. Then the attorney looked at both of them. He says, guys, he said, I'm so disappointed in you. I wrote him a check for the full amount. So... You cannot take possessions with you, no matter how much you sit there and say, this is what I want to do. You remember, I think it was a John Rockefeller that died. He was so rich. And somebody said, well, how much do you think he left? Some astute soul said, he left it all. He did, he left it all. Malcolm Forbes was a billionaire publisher. And he's the one who has made the quote that has been on uh, bumper stickers. You'll see the bumper sticker. It says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Have you seen that bumper sticker? Well, you know, the truth is those who die with the most toys, they're just dead. And they didn't take the toys with them. They left the toys behind in their greedy families fighting over who gets them. You see, don't let, don't let possessions deceive us. Everything that we gather up over here, one day we're just going to leave it all. It's just going to be left behind. The Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish laws and tradition, puts it this way. Man is born with his hands clenched. And he dies with them wide open. Entering life, he desires to grasp everything. 
But leaving the world, all that he has possessed has slipped away. Possessions deceive. But second of all, possessions distract. Possessions distract. Verse 22, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. What it means by that is our eyes set our destination in our direction. If I'm going over here to the left, my eyes are going to be there. It's going to direct me there. And it says, your eyes are the lamp of the body. They're the ones that lets everything in. And he says, the good eye or the healthy eye is the one that lets a body that's full of light. Now, that word healthy, or some translations has good, is really an interesting word. It really means a piece of cloth (laughs) that's folded over once. You say, what does that mean? A piece of cloth folded over once. What that means is it's simple. It's simple. It's singular. It's one focus. The eye that is healthy, the eye that is good, the eye that has a single focus, the eye that has a clear vision will bring light into the soul. What that means is with good eyes, we focus on God. We're a kingdom citizen. We seek his honor. We seek his favor. And when we do that, it says the whole body will be full of light and our actions will be gracious and pleasing to God because my focus is on God. But then it says in verse 23, but if your eye is bad, that means if it's not healthy, if it may have blurred vision, if it's not healthy, it means you're focusing on your possessions, which usually carries greed, envy, and covetousness. You see, not only do I want to have the coolest car and the hippest fashions and the best vacation home, but I'm also envious of those who have these things. And so when I put my focus just on possessions, it begins to usually carry with it greed, envy, and also I'm coveting what others have because I want to have something that's even better than that. And it's so easy in our culture to get caught up in materialism and wanting so much more that it becomes our focus. But here's what you need to know. When it says the good eye, it's a single focus. It means you cannot focus on the treasures on earth and focus on the things of God at the same time. Material possessions will distract us from our proper focus. You can't focus on two things at one time. You know, if you ever tried to take your camera, maybe your iPhone or, or take a camera and it's got autofocus on it and you're trying to take a picture of something and when you're trying to take a picture of something, if there's some other elements all around it, it, does, it can't figure out which one it's supposed to focus on. And so it's kind of going back and forth and, and you really can't get anything in focus. That's what happens with us is you cannot sit there and put so much focus on possessions and say, oh yeah, I've also got my focus on God. No, the image of God's going to be blurry because your image, your focus is strictly on possessions. And that's why it says possessions distract, possessions distract. So they deceive you, but they also distract. But the last thing is possessions dominate. They can dominate you. Look what it says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You just can't serve God in money. That word serve is a word that means to be a slave, to be under the command of another. No man can be a slave to two owners. You'll be devoted to the one and maybe hate the other. That word devoted to one means to stand face to face. And if I am standing face to face and looking at you, it means I can't give any attention to anyone else. Well, if I don't do that, this one's going to be mad at me because I am not giving them that attention. 
And he says, you can't serve two masters. You can only have one. And there's a battle, especially in our culture, that the world and materialism is wanting your full attention. God is also wanting your full attention. You can't give it to both. And oftentimes when we begin to look towards the material part of it, it will begin to dominate us. Now it's interesting, most of, a lot of your translations have uh, that you cannot serve God and mammon alone. Now mammon is not really a word that we use very much, okay? Uh, mammon, hey, did you get some mammon the other day? See, I don't know. I don't know if you spread it on bread. I didn't know what mammon was. But you know, mammon, we translate it also is like for money. But the interesting background of this word is mammon used to mean when it first was used, back when the Hebrews first used this word for possession, the root word meant to entrust, to entrust, which meant that you would entrust your money to someone. You would entrust it to a bank. You would entrust it to some place where it could be a safe deposit. But over the years, the word's meaning changed from entrust to that in which a man puts his trust. It's not that I'm entrusting it for someone to hold it. Now it has grown to the point where it is something that I trust. And I put my trust in those possessions. I put my trust in the house that I live in, the car that I drive, the clothes that I wear, and, uh, and the phones that I carry, and the jewelry that I wear. All these things, I put my trust in them. Because too often that shows who I am communicates to others that I'm successful. That's who I put my trust in. And the Bible says you can't serve two masters. You can serve one. You'll either serve one, despise the other. You can't be devoted to both. When a man puts his trust in material things, they become not his support, they become his God. And either God owns you or your possessions own you. And you're the only one that can give yourself that test to determine who owns me. Does God or do my possessions? This is not something to where people can sit here and look and say, oh, yeah, this is for those people who live in those billion-dollar lifestyles out there. No, this is for anybody You don't have to be rich in our culture's definition of rich to be materialistic. I've known a lot of people don't have very much that are very, very materialistic. And they can be captured by what possessions they have and they can be enveloped with envy and greed and covetousness over the things they don't have. So it can happen to any of us, okay? But the question is, is who owns you? Because see, what happens is when we begin to put our minds towards possessions, they will dominate us. And my experience has been in just working with people is the more possessions you have, the more possessions tend to dominate you. And the reason is, is that when you get these possessions, you now have to invest time to maintain them, time to, uh, to play with those toys that you have. And I've had a number of people that have come to me and it's almost like these possessions are sucking the life out of them. 
They were so thrilled to be able to get these things, but now they're having to spend so much time uh, in them, working with them, whether it be maintaining or refurbishing or feel like since I've invested the money, now I've got to go, go play with these toys. And when I do all this, guess what's happened? Well, I don't come to church as much because I'm out here with my possessions. You know, I don't spend as much time with my family and with my kids because I'm with my possessions. And what is happening is your possessions are starting to possess you. They're owning you. And it's so funny when people will sometimes travel on, on mission trips and they'll go into some areas where it's just a real simple lifestyle. When they come back here, they said, I really longed for what those people had. It was just a simple lifestyle. But once I got back here and I got in the Vestavia Hoover and over the mountain and I'm wrapped up in all of my possessions, it's like they're just owning me. They own me. Only you can determine that test. But what Jesus says is he says, don't lay up your treasures on earth. They will deceive you, they'll distract you, and they'll dominate you. So let's talk about the wisdom of laying up treasures in heaven. He comes back in verse 20 and he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So what is treasures in heaven? It's not like you're doing good deeds so that that you get this, uh, you know, perfect attendance ribbon when you get to heaven. It means to do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. To do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. So when you think about laying up treasures in heaven, it could include anything from you growing in your knowledge of Christ. Because as you grow in your knowledge of Christ, it's better preparing you so that when you get to heaven and you see him face to face, that's good stuff. It includes introducing others to Jesus Christ. Because when you introduce someone to Christ and they make their decision for him, they're going to be spending eternity in heaven and that will be forever. Or it is taking your financial resources and putting them in Christian causes that will last into eternity. Jesus says, lay up your treasures in heaven. And there's two reasons why we need to do this. Number one is the treasure's value lasts for eternity. The treasure's value, it lasts for eternity. It's secure. It never loses its value. If you had an investment counselor, someone that you went to and said, hey, I've got some money, I'd like to invest it, what should I invest it in? I would hope that they would give you some things to invest into eternity because the return is incredible. Up in heaven, the market never turns down. In heaven, the rate never goes down. In heaven, it's secured. And it doesn't just last for a few years, it lasts for eternity. That means you're investing in something that has lasting value. So you got to ask yourself, do I want to spend all my efforts in something here? I'm going to build up these possessions that as soon as I leave, they're done. Or do I want to begin to lay up treasures in heaven, something that has a lasting value? Whatever treasures we store up on earth, they will be left behind when we leave. But whatever treasures we store up in heaven... They will be waiting for us when we arrive. Isn't that great? Now just think about that. Let's say God gives you 75 years living on earth. As soon as you leave this place, you take your last breath. And if you're a believer in Christ, you take your first breath in heaven. You have just left every possession that you've worked for for 75 years back here. It's gone. And as soon as you step up into heaven, everything that you have laid up in heaven will now be waiting for you. For eternity. 
So where do you think the best place is that you should put your investment? And wouldn't it be nice that if you had an opportunity to pour your life into some others and you help lead a person to Christ, and let's say they died before you did, to know that when you stepped into glory, that person is right there and you'll be with them for eternity and to know that's part of the treasures that were laid up there. Or some of the causes, the ministries, the the missions that you've been able to take your funds that God has entrusted you with and given those funds and said, okay. And then all of a sudden we get to heaven. There's things that we had no idea happened because of the money that we gave. Because you gave these funds, this is what happened. These people were saved. These lives were changed. This is a part of your treasures that you're laying up in heaven. Listen, you cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And everyone gets to make that decision. Let me tell you the last thing, and that is your heart is captured for the things of God. When you lay up treasures in heaven, your heart is captured for the things of God. Verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Our hearts will always follow our treasure. Our heart goes where our money goes. When you invest your money in the things of the world, your heart will be captured by this world. When you put your money in the work of God, your heart will be captured by the things of God of God. Now, and we know this, for instance, whenever you bought stock, whenever you took some money and you bought stock in a company, did you just walk away from that and never read about that company? Not at all. Once you put money in that company, then guess what happened? Anytime you could see an article, you'd read it about it. Anytime you saw something come across a news blip, you wanted to know what it had to say, uh, because you invested your money there. And so naturally your heart has gone there too and say, I want to keep up with this. It's the same thing with the things of God. When you place your money into the ministry of the missions and the work of God, that's where your heart goes. Now, all of a sudden, because you're supporting someone who's working in a foreign country, whenever that foreign country comes up in the news, you're going to read about it. You're going to listen to it. You're going to have a heart for it. You're going to be praying for it. You're praying for those people. You've got an investment over there. And the great thing about laying up our treasures in heaven is that it captures our hearts for God. Listen, if you put no skin in the game, I don't think you're going to have much of a heart for it. And if people sit there and say, hey, I don't think I need to give to missions, I doubt you're going to have much of a heart for missions. Because if you had a heart for the things of God, you would want to give to the things of God. And when you give to the things of God, all of a sudden, man, you begin to have a heart for it. You know, we started this um, Bible translation project in, in Nepal about four years ago. And Jeremy and I, that we had this opportunity brought to us by International Mission Board, and we jumped on it. We're putting some pretty heavy funds for our Make Jesus Known to make this happen. So it can translate scripture into four different languages in Nepal who have never had, had, had scripture. And, and we're following this, and, and we've never done anything in Nepal. So all of a sudden, we've put our funds towards there, and guess what happens? Shortly after that, one of our church members feels God's called him to go into missions. Guess where he's serving? Nepal. We met a wonderful missionary couple that we partnered with there in Nepal. I go to a meeting of North American Mission Board in Boston, and I sit next to a guy who's a church planner from Nepal. Where did this come from? And then we began to talk to him, and, and then all of a sudden I get a name of a guy in New York City who's from Nepal. And he's working with Nepalese people, and he's got a son who is there. We shared this with you the other week. He's got a son who is in Nepal who they want to get to move to the States. They don't know how they can afford to do it. And because of your giving in chapters, I'm the one that sat across the table and said, we'll cover those costs. It all started because 
Our hearts just got captured with the things of God. And then when that begins to happen, folks, God just begins to work all these things through it. Now, God may have used someone else somewhere down the road to help this couple be able to get their son to come to the United States. But guess what? He used us. He used us because we were willing to begin to invest some funds into that country. And then God says, hey, Danny, man, this is just the beginning. I'm just going to begin to connect some dots that you had no idea would be here. And it doesn't just happen in church. It happens in your individual life. So it says your heart is captured for the things of God. And what Jesus says is start now investing in a heavenly treasure. You deposit your treasure in heaven by the right use of your possessions on earth. Now, I read this statement from a commentary and it just jumped out at me. He says, God is not looking for donors for his kingdom. Those who stand outside the cause and dispassionately consider acts of philanthropy. God is looking for disciples immersed in the causes they give to. He wants people so filled with a vision for eternity that their desires are to invest their money, their time, and their prayers where they will matter most. I love that. Laying up your treasures in heaven. I'm not asking you just to dispassionately write some check and say, let's give this to the budget. No. What I'm asking for you is take a look at your own resources and say, God, I want to be laying treasures up in heaven. And then you begin to invest in there. You'd invest your time, your prayers, and just immerse yourself in the mission of God. That's what God wants. And that's what means laying up your treasures in heaven. So how are you going to do this? This is how we close. You live for the line and invest in the lives of others for eternity. Live for the line and invest in the lives of others for eternity. Randy Alcorn wrote a small book called The Treasure Principle. It's an excellent book. And in that book, he says, there is the dot and there's a line, okay? There's a dot and a line. Now, the dot, what does the dot mean? Dot is your life on earth. Then you've got a line and the line is your life in heaven. That is eternity. And he says, we will either live for the dot or live for the line. And so if you've got the dot and you've got the line, you choose. If you live for the dot, then you're just living temporarily. All you're doing is you're living for worldly treasures that when you die, they're going to end up in the junkyard. But the person with an eternal perspective is going to live for the line. And the person that lives for the line lives for treasures in heaven that will never end. They'll live for treasures that never end. And so real simple for you as we walk out of here in just a few minutes, you just ask yourself the question, am I going to live for the dot or am I going to live for the line? If you live for the dot, it's just one point in time. That's it. That's where I'm going to put all my resources and I'm done. Or will I live for the line to where I'm going to be laying up treasures that will live through eternity? John Wesley says, I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. I judge all things only by the price that they shall gain in eternity. You deposit your treasure in heaven by placing it into the lives of those who are going there. And you can use your money in this world that when you reach the next world, those who benefited, benefited by your giving will be there to meet you. Believers are positively rewarded in eternity according to the way they live their lives here on earth great passage of scripture, Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, okay? So we're to enjoy all the things that we have. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. It's not wrong for us to gather possessions. It says when you gather them, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Lay up our treasures in heaven. You can live for the dot or you can live for the line. When you, live this, when you leave this world, will you be known as one who accumulated treasures on earth that you could not keep? Or will you be recognized as one who invested treasure in heaven that you could not lose? It'll be your choice. Jesus says, live for the line and not for the dot. Let me ask us, bow our heads for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I I thank you so much for the right priorities. And I pray you speak to each one of our hearts. We're all at different stages. We all struggle with materialism and what our culture is, is shouting out to us. And Lord, may we look at your word and make that decision to lay up treasures in heaven. And Father, I I go on the um, authority of your word to know that wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. I pray that each one of us will take our treasures and give them to you. And then our hearts will be captured for the things of God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.